Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Biblo Escapes of Destruction. Today, this evening, I've got the great pleasure of being joined by Lake District-based photographer Ian Hill. Good evening, Ian. Hi, Ian. How you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, absolutely grand. I was just saying a moment ago, I'm dodging the rain at the moment. Yeah, pretty much the same up in Scotland. I think we'll be dodging the rain for the next five months until we get some daylight again. But uh, hey, hope you get used to it after a few years. Uh, so tonight, obviously, we'll be talking about Ian's recent book, Absence, um, along with some other bits and pieces. But before we get into talking about your book, Ian, it would be great if you could give us a, a good introduction to your work and your photography. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in a way, there's kind of two stories to tell. And I think both of those stories come through in, in absence a little bit. And one of the stories is about the, my engagement with the outdoors. Um, I, as I mentioned in the, in, in the book, I grew up in a very flat place. And at some point in my life, I suddenly realised that I needed to go and live in the mountains. And yeah. I think my, my whole life, in a way, has been about trying to interpret and understand these kind of places yep. and trying to, particularly trying to interrogate my relationship with landscape. And I think yep. even as a young child, I've, I've always been fascinated by landscape and, and, and always wanted to be outdoors. And I had one of these remarkable experiences when I was about 15 years old of going on one of those you know school walking trips to the peak district as you, as you do yeah and we were walking up a, a valley and it was the end of march and there was snow still hanging in the crags and you could hear the sound of the stream rushing in the valley below and i had one of those almost epiphany moments where i thought my god this is incredible i never knew places like this existed i've lived my life to this point in this flat landscape. Yep. And suddenly this realization of this other world was like a like a big turning point for me in yep. a way. And I spent an awful spent an awful lot of my my youth and my early adulthood up in the mountains, climbing, walking, mountaineering. Yeah. Um, and always wanted to be able to document that in a way. Always wanted to be able to not just record it, but to in some way interpret it, to try and interrogate and understand it, I think. So I think that that theme about, about the outdoors, my love of the outdoors, has always been there. And I think parallel with that also is a love of photography, which started at a very, very early age. And I've mentioned this also in, in the book about how I had no particular role models, no tutors, no mentors. Yes, yeah. At some point at the age of about 18 or 19, I started to develop my own black and white films. And I've got, I still to this day have no idea where that urge came from. Yeah. And this being, it would have been the early 80s, I suppose, uh, you did what you always did in those days. You got a book from the library and you, you bought some Ilford FP4 from the chemists in the days when you could still buy it in the chemists and, yeah. and you played around. Yep. And something kind of crystallized in me, pardon the pun, at that point when I, I, I think I realized that this was a medium which spoke to me in a very powerful way. Yep. And yep. I, I think from that point on, I've always taken photographs. I've always had a preference for black and white uh, over, over color, although I've still taken a lot of color photographs, I think. Black and white has always spoken to me in a very powerful way. I'm always drawn to black and white photography by other photographers. 
Um, and also, um, I still continue to work in film, and all of the images in that book uh, are on 35, well, predominantly on 35 mil. There's a few 120 square format images. Yeah. But they're all on film, and I still get an immense pleasure from that almost magical alchemy of yep. taking a film and seeing that transform into something phys physical, something tangible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that has been produced in this way that in this in essence hasn't changed for well almost 200 years now yeah yeah there's something very very magical about that for me yeah absolutely it's it's a it's, it's a fascinating journey and as you see you touch on a lot of those points in uh, in, in in the book and the text because a lot of people certainly people i've spoken to it's maybe been someone who's been a tutor or something like that that's really got them engaged in into photography but as you as you say yourself there wasn't that one particular role model but yet it became so, such an intrinsic part of of who you are absolutely yes and i think one of the great pleasures for me to some extent was was rediscovering film yeah. I kind of had a period where I moved over almost entirely to digital, particularly when my, my kids were younger. And, you know, yep. you do that thing of just not giving yourself the time to develop your creativity or your hobbies and interests. And yep. so I took a lot of digital shots. Um, yep. And then at some point, one of my sons, my younger son, when he was in his teenage year, it started to show this interest in these funny old cameras that I had lying around the house and, and mercifully I hadn't got rid of any of them yeah and so he started showing this interest and and it was something that I particularly wanted to be able to pass on to him to be able to show him this remarkable process that was yeah. almost like a form of magic that you could perform in, in your own home yeah and then he became fascinated I mean to be fair he's a far far better photographer than I ever will be which is a little bit galling really he doesn't photograph anywhere near as much these days but what he's allowed was for me to get all this old kit out and to start yeah. to buy some more film and rediscover the magic of that process yeah and digital has pretty much fallen away for me now other than the fact that i use it to scan negatives so yes i work in what people usually describe nowadays as a hybrid workflow i'll, I'll take film images and then i'll scan them digitally so that yes I can, you know, you share can then work yeah and make books from them and all that kind of thing yeah yeah absolutely but Excellent. that rediscovery of film is magical yeah, absolutely. I can I can only imagine it, particularly to share it with with your son as well, and to yeah get him involved and get him interested in photography too. But obviously, yeah, your 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 book uh, absence you brought that out earlier on this year, which I think it's now sold out or or whatever. So I'm, I'm just I'm really interested to I think one thing is a beautiful body of work, really really nice. Uh, the images uh, images are superb, really strong, work well together. But it's equally so does the text. The, the three kind of short essays, I think, really add add a different element and add 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 a good uh, good basis and a bit of an understanding for anyone who's looking at it and a bit of background about yourself and, and your approach. But I'm kind of interested also just to to know what what was the kind of the inspiration and the idea behind the book. Um, well, one of the things you've you've absolutely rightly picked up on is that I have almost an equal love of words as I have of images. And I yep. think one of the things that really interests me is the way that the two things work together mm. and how you can produce creative work which relies both on imagery and words. Yes. Um, I'm not particularly interested in words as a direct commentary on the images. You know, I'm not... As you see from the book, I'm, I'm not captioning things. I'm not explaining yeah. the individual yeah. images themselves. 
what I suppose in a way I'm trying to do with absence is to try and evoke a certain emotional response to landscape, yep. both through words and through images. Yeah. And so the, the, the essay format, to some extent, um, what I've done was I've taken a lot of photographs through uh, the first part of this year. Yep. And I was starting to sort them with the idea of some form of, of zine or book in mind. Yep. And as I started to work through those images, they started to fall into some natural groupings for yeah. me. And they, they are pretty much the three sections that you see in the book now. Yeah. And as I started to, to work through those, um, I started to attach some words to them. And I had bits of writing that I've produced elsewhere, not directly related to these images that I edited and repurposed added some new writing and started to build up this thing that in my mind started to tell a little bit of a story. Yes. And in a way, the, the story that emerges through the book is partly about, uh, as you see in that first section, a lot of images that are very much, uh, I sometimes describe them as not landscape photography. Yep. Uh, they are taken in the landscape, but not of the landscape in some yes. way. Yep. And so, there's a lot of use of close focus, yeah. very sh short depth of field. The idea that, you know, I live in the Lake District, one of the most photographed places in England, probably. And you can, um, what I was trying to do in, in a way was to try and take images that weren't about that stunning Lake District landscape, but were trying to, to focus down on the individual details, the things you trip over on a walk in the Lake District. Yeah. The things that are all around us, but might be overlooked, you know, the light on grasses, yes. the flowers in the hay meadow and, and, and so on. So I, I had that first section that was very much about a response to the landscape. And then the second section kind of builds on that to some extent where it starts to look at individual details. Yes. Yeah. And generally tends to be much more uh, focused on on individual uh, items of detail in the landscape, yeah. whether it be a, a gate post or a, you know an old rusty post or whatever it might be. You know, you start to see those things in the landscape. But then, in the third section, you, you notice that people start to appear, but not in a way that you can recognise them. Yeah. And I That's think to some extent. This, yeah, this alludes to the, the title of the, of the book. So I was, I was interested in a way that I found myself taking photographs in which people were almost always absent and then starting to play around in, in, with photographs where people were partly absent, as in you can just see a blurred shape in the background, yes. the yep. suggestion of something going on there. And I think one of the things that interests me is that kind of human interaction with yep. landscape the way in which people have shaped and influenced landscape, the way in which landscape shapes and influences people, which I think is also a very interesting thought, the way we respond to that. And so I wanted to try and create a set of images in that last section that said, yes, there are, there are people here, but we're all part of this. We're all yeah. in some way connected with, with this landscape thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderfully laid out story and it's, it's great to hear you talking about it and because I, th I think you can always read so much 
in terms of what people write in the books, but actually to sit and and have some and have the photographer behind the work actually talk about it. It it, it just adds for me, it just adds a different different dimension. It, it brings a lot of clarity to it, and it is it's very it's very interesting because I, I would say when you look through the first section, it's very noticeable for me just very how the style of shot that you've gone for, which is yeah, as you say, you live in the Lake District and you could live anywhere, Glencoe or somewhere like that, but you could be anywhere and i think that's what the beauty is Any, anyone could pick this up and they could they could plant themselves in your mind in your view in their local landscape and it would fit in perfectly because it's all the it's all the objects and it's all the sorts of shots that you would that you would find anywhere regardless of what big hill or what fancy lake or lock is is actually in the distance Absolutely, yes. And um, what, one, of, one of the things uh, that, that really starts to interest me is that kind of um, the, the way in which people connect with their own landscape, you know, yes. the way yep. in which, and I think one of the things that I started to, to ponder on after I produced the book, and you, you know, you produce something and you think you know what it's about, don't yep. you? <laughs> you? You think you know what it is you're saying and, and you put this out in the world and you think, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm reasonably pleased with that. Um, and then you start to think, oh, well, what are all the other things that are going on? And one of the thoughts that I started to have is, have is to what extent has this been a product of the pandemic? Yep. And I think it's, it's an interesting thought to ponder on as to whether this has changed the way we photograph. And um, I, I mean, I, I have worked um, in, a, in jobs where I've had done a lot of traveling. I've moved around quite a lot. And suddenly the pandemic left me grounded like many people. Yep. We were certainly initially confined to that immediate local landscape. And you walk around with a camera and you start to notice things that you might have overlooked previously. You'll do the same walk day after day and see the seasons change and the way things yep. look differently and the weather. And, and so to some extent, I guess this book is a rediscovery of the local. Yes. In a way that many of us have, have done during the pandemic. And, yeah. and I think it's, it's quite interesting to, to unpack some of the things that might subliminally be going on in our minds uh, while we take photographs. Because I think like many people, I, I take photographs almost viscerally. So I'm not yeah. a technical photographer particularly. I tend to shoot quite quickly. I tend to photograph quite instinctively, you know, yeah. I'll have that sort of feeling when I when I sense that a composition is right and then yes. only afterwards you start to unpack well why did I make that choice <laughs> what, why, what decisions am I making yes and I think the same thing happens is when you start to curate a project in yep. the way you select and sequence the images you, you, you're also going through those to, to some extent subliminal uh, processes, those subconscious mental processes about what feels right and, and some instinctive sense that things can be right. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you you'd you kind of decided or you had your three three distinct phases to it. So I suppose each for each phase you, you know very much the story that you're trying to get across and it's it's really Pick, picking up the pictures so I suppose there's there's elements of the first part will kind of flow subtly into the second part and elements of the second part that then flow subtly into the third part but obviously as you move through come the third part you're bringing the, the objects the the blurry the blurry bodies as as you might call them into it which yeah and again I like the I like the fact that it's not on every it's not on every shot that you're not, it's not overpowered by 
the 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 absent people. It's just it's just here and there. It's, it's the small touches that just bring it that bring it all together nicely. Thank you. Yes, it's and it's something that I'm continuing to explore as well. So yep. the work that I'm I'm making at the moment is very much about that human connection with landscape. And I've got a project on ready to go at the moment. And I'm just trying to work out exactly how how to disseminate that. But that's yep. very much about that visceral connection with landscape, the way in which we we, we respond to landscape. Yeah. And in that case, I've also been very interested by this is the new project the kind of human traces that we see in the land around us yes the yeah. landscape in the lake district is quite ancient in some ways and you can be walking on a well-worn path and you, you you pass a stone wall almost without thinking about it and then i had a moment at some point of photographing one of these old stone wall sheepfolds up on the hills and i thought you know the the hands that built this could easily have fought in the Crimean War. And there's that moment where time just almost telescopes in, where <laughs> yeah. you have that kind of spine-tingling moment of, of, of history and, and continuity and the presence of people in this landscape for many, many hundreds of years. And, and to some extent, it's, a, it's almost a a belittling sense that we are just these tiny fragments in this very large, very historic landscape, which is kind of nice, actually. I, you know, I, I quite like being belittled by the land. Well, that, that's it. And the thing is, it, put, it puts everything into perspective and it gives you a bit of sense of scale in, in, in more than just physical size, but in terms of just yeah, our relationship to the land, we are such a, a small blip. Um, so, to, so to speak, and yeah, when you when you begin to then think historically about everything, it, it really opens up a whole world of options in terms of, as you say, your your new project, whereby you, you can look at something entirely different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like many photographers, I have more projects than time to achieve them, which I think is probably quite a a positive way to view the world. But yeah. I, I often have multiple things that I'm working on at any given time. So that, that's just one of a number of things that I'm pursuing. Yeah, I, I, th I think so. And I think I, I think there's a lot of people now who maybe have certainly over the last 18 months brought out a zine or done a small body of work, very much focused on the local area. And I think, I think it's maybe changed some perspectives or some approaches to work as opposed to more of a scattered on approach. It's maybe more actually, well, if I focus on one particular area, um, then then there's other opportunities, the things that you that you miss that you don't ordinarily see as you go chasing some of your honeypot locations or or, or whatever it is you're working on. But yeah, I think I think it's it's a wonderful representation of what the local is in in your book because as opposed to being a specific local, it can be anyone's local, and and that's why that's why I really like that's why I really like about it. It's like it's something that everyone can relate to. You you can pick it up and. As I said, if you stayed up in the Highlands or Wales or wherever, then it, it's something that you can all relate to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I've been um, very aware of over the last year or two is in looking at the work of other modern photographers, and particularly people who are photographing in the landscape, yeah. is how there is some kind of reinterpretation of landscape. And I think I'm very interested in people who are trying to understand the land in a slightly different way yes yeah um and there's uh, some superb photographers I'm, I'm particularly interested in in some of the younger photographers who are, yeah. who are operating sometimes in 
places that are viewed as being you know, out of the way. Sorry, I'm doing air quotes around out of the way because, of course, they're not out of the way places at all. They're just out yes. of the way if they're perceived from a certain a certain direction. Yeah. But I think you know there are there are photographers in the Highlands, in the Western Isles. I'm thinking of people like uh, Francis Scott, yeah, like um, Danielle McLeod and Mari Law in the Western Isles. Uh, yes. Photographers like Abby Poulsen in in Wales all of whom I think are producing exceptional work that interprets landscape in a very different way. I think it's quite interesting that those photographers I've mentioned, all of whom I, I admire very greatly, are all relatively youngish women. Yes, yeah. Um, who I think are very engaged in their local area. Yes. And somewhere behind all of this also, I guess, is, is the climate crisis and environmental change and the way that environmental photography is no longer about flying off to Iceland to take stunning shots of, of gravel banks with snow on them and so on. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's not uh, not seen necessarily as a way in which we interpret landscape in photography at the moment. And I think it's, it's that sense of, of the local and the way in which people engage with an environment they know rather than one they simply visit, yeah. I think is, is very interesting. Yeah, I think it is very interesting. I think people are becoming more and more interested in it as well, not just from a photographer perspective from going out and creating the work, but actually from people appreciating and experiencing the work as well. I think there's there's far more of an interest in the, the likes of a documentary landscape bringing people who people and things and everyone who, who occupies, uses the landscape and, and photographing it from that perspective to, to give some relativity and some, some understanding of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's a different way of looking at things and I think it is very firmly rooted in, in the local. Yeah. So obviously, uh, wait, wait, you know, carry on. No, I was I was just going to say that the you know the whole kind of environmental context is something that's that's actually increasingly important to me. I mean, yeah. yeah I've, I suppose I regard myself as a, a sort of an environmentalist fundamentalist to some to some extent, <laughs> um, and I, I've always you know had that kind of wider view about environmental damage and environmental degradation. Yeah, and I think it, that's increasingly a topic that we can talk about through work like photography and writing. And I think the, yeah. the, the challenge is how do we articulate some of that? How do we create a narrative which complements the valuable work of scientists and policymakers and all those kind of people? How do you, how do you address environmental crisis? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, very valid points. So I was just going to say, obviously, yeah, your 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 work, your body of work. How how did you approach the curation aspect of it? And how, how did you approach because you self-published it? So I'm just I'm just interested to understand what your approach was in, in terms of pulling the body of work together. And did you collaborate? Did you do it yourself? Did you seek feedback from from others, etc.? Just to get a bit of an understanding, because I know a lot of people are always keen now and are exploring maybe zines and books as a way of doing something with their own work. So it'd be great just to get, uh, to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if anybody is thinking of producing a zine or a book, I, my response would be do it, do it. I think the, the experience of, of doing it and what you learn about your own work and learn about the way you approach your work is absolutely invaluable. Yep. So I think it's a, it's a remarkable process for anybody to go through. In, in my own case, I mean, it's really started around the images and to some extent the words were, were created to fit the images rather than the other way around. Yep. Um, one of the things that I'm quite interested in exploring in, in the future is how to run those things a little more in parallel. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and you know how one can conceive a body of work in which the images and the, the words contribute to each other during the development process. But anyway, yes. in this particular case, I had a set of images, and as I mentioned earlier, I started to kind of push those around on a screen and, and start to make natural groupings of them. And I think there was this penny dropping moment where I, I, I settled on the configuration that's currently in the book where I think suddenly an awful lot of things clicked into place at one point where I could go, right, okay, that's a set of images that works together. Yeah. That's a, a body of text that works with that set of images. And then from there, it was pretty much plain sailing. Yeah. Um, I mean, self, self producing a, a zine is, is incredibly satisfying and, and it's reasonably easy nowadays with, with online on-demand printing services. That's it. It's actually very, very straightforward. Like many people, I use Mixam printers uh, who are absolutely excellent. Their online interface is fantastic and makes it really easy to, to produce your work. Um, what I didn't do with this scene is seek feedback from other people other than, you know, boring my wife with it for a while. Um, <laughs> I effectively produced it in a darkened room with a towel wrapped around my head. And, and yeah. actually, knowing what I know now, I think for future bodies of work, I'm much keener to share them with people. And yes. One of course, one of the great advantages of social media is the fact that you can build up this network of, of like-minded contacts that you can share work with. So, Absolutely. Um, the, the new project that I'm just starting to, uh, to, to, to finalise now, I've already shared with a couple of people and said, you know, what do you think of this? Does it work? Um, and it's really good to be able to get that kind of feedback and to discuss work with people. I'm really interested in this idea of peer-to-peer -peer learning. Yes. And I think social media enables that. It's one of the positive aspects of social media. There are, of course, plenty of negative aspects. Yep. But um, it's, it's one thing that, that really is made easier is to be able to engage with like-minded people and to chuck work back and forth with each other in a, in a very open way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the added benefit of doing the peer-to-peer -peer is you're taking, when you, when you pass your work to someone else or when someone passes their work to me, um, which people do, um, it takes away the emotional connection. You, you, I don't have, I don't, and you don't have the emotional connection to other people's work. So you begin, you 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 take a you take a proactive approach to it. Um, it's not to say that what you think is right relative to what the actual photographer does, but it it can maybe just draw out one or two areas whereby the photographer probably knows that they're not correct, but just. It's, it's the wee bit of reassurance or just a push from two or three people who they, they know will give them a valued and honest opinion to say that doesn't work. And they say, yeah, I know you're right. And it just forces them to then address it. And, and it just helps tighten up wee bits and pieces around there because I think it's also the same when you're looking through your work, even if it's just looking through an image over and over again for day after day, you begin to, it becomes second nature and you don't actually spot where the obvious errors are. And I think it's the same when you're looking through a sequence or where there's text added or just, it's just wee small details that other people, when a fresh pair of eyes, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't work or is there an immediate reaction to it as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, that can be a really invaluable process. And I think there's, there's no uh, substitute for talking to other human beings or communicating with other human beings by whatever medium who are interested in the same stuff. You know, that sense of community 
yeah. has always been important in photography, although it's a curious paradox, isn't it, that photography is by and large a solitary pursuit, but there's yeah. always been a sense of community, schools yes. of thought, uh, yeah. you know, in, inter, interconnections between photographers to, to make the work richer. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's invaluable. And I think it for anyone who, as you say, who's who's thinking about doing it, there's there's a wealth of information and a wealth of uh, wealth of people who've been doing it and have produced successfully. And you, from every one that you do, be it handmade, published, self-published, or whatever, you learn every time through it, and you then begin to develop new ideas and new ways of thinking. And at the end of the day, one zine, one book captures a moment in time, and it's not to say that you can't reuse the work and do something differently in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I'm I'm very interested in the future. I think one of the things I learned from 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 this scene is um, the quality of the physical object is extremely important to me. Absolutely, I, I don't yes. think I've realised enough how much I valued the physical artifact. And I, I'm I'm a great book lover, you know, and I still much prefer to read on paper than I than I do on a screen. And uh, in retrospect, I would probably have produced this zine on different paper stock. Yep. Possibly in a slightly different format. And those are the things you learn and those are the things you want to improve for next time. But I think that that importance of the, the tactile experience of the physical artifact is, uh, is really significant for me. And that's something that I want to be able to take forward into future projects and because i've got a real interest in in book binding and in and paper yeah. and in other paper-based media i'm quite interested in whether it's also possible to make some kind of crossover and start to produce things like handmade books which you know probably just aren't viable at all but are quite an interesting idea to pursue as to whether you can include something of the the physical handmade into a product yeah i i definitely think there is i think there's I think there is demand for handmade elements. Um, and I know certainly you could go down, a, I suppose, a, a mixed route of having maybe the book element that's been public, that's been commercially printed and then make a handmade sleeve or or a handmade packaging of some sort. Or um, as Joseph Wright did recently with his recent reimagined landscapes, I think some of the, the, was the artist's edition that you get the, the the printed book, but then there's a handmade concert or a handbound concertina that he's done. So it's kind of combining various different elements to it. But I totally agree with you. I think the tactile elements of the books um, really do make a big difference, and it can it can really help separate one 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 format out from another. If you've got just a slightly different paper choice that has been selected for for the work, or a slightly different cover maybe matte or textured or, or something like that and yeah there's there's so many different formats the flip side is, is you've always got to bear in mind what what how that how that escalates the cost really more so than anything and and the numbers that you're producing but they all add up and I, I think for me I can I can certainly remember some of the zines on my bookshelf particularly the ones where I could tell you the ones that have got slightly different paper choices, something that's slightly different, something that's unique, that's just a wee, wee bit of detail that's just ever so slightly different because they're the things that you stand out. Likewise with books as well, you could you could pick up half, I could pick out half a dozen books that have got a really nice, slightly different textured paper that works particularly well, as opposed to something that's just maybe a bit more standard. Forgetting about the images, because the images and most of them are all very specific, but you remember what 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 ones have 
gone, got something slightly different to them or different levels of tracing paper, et cetera, that begin to reveal images. And these are the wee tactile elements that just change your, change the whole experience of looking through a book. Because as you say, like you, I don't use a Kindle. I, I, I much prefer paper for anything that I read. It's just far more relaxing, far more enjoyable. And, and just the feel of it is, is just entirely different. Absolutely. And I think it is a really positive, healthy environment for the photo zine and the photo book. Absolutely. Yeah. I think affordable uh, online printing services have made it eminently possible to produce really high quality work that does the images justice because there's there are plenty of very, very good photographers, but there's now uh, a potential for those good photographers to also produce very beautiful artifacts as well. And, and I think, you know, I've, I've got a couple of couple here sitting around in front of me. You, you recently interviewed uh, Dale Sutherland Roberts, yes, for example, yep. about his book, The Walk, which also another child of the lockdown to some extent. Yep, indeed. Um, and again, you know, that's an example of a, a zine produced pretty much like mine, you know, just by one of the commercial printers, beautiful quality. Uh, fantastic images and I think it's it's a really healthy environment at the moment for people starting to to spread work and and also very importantly to curate that work in an interesting way so we're we're not just sharing individual images we're sharing projects and concepts and ideas which, which hang together very effectively in a book and I think the the book format allows you to convey an idea that is much more sophisticated than the sum of the individual images. And I think that's, that's one of the really interesting things about, about the book as, yeah. as a thing. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me as well, I totally agree. And, and also there's the element that you don't necessarily need to have 40 outstanding wow images that all work as standalone images because you're looking at a, a coherent set of work. And in fact, sometimes the one wow image doesn't necessarily fit the sequence, doesn't add value to it, whereas you can get, not any, I wouldn't say average images, but what that work well, it just works so well as a set, as a body of work from that, that creates such a great flow. And it, it does, it changes, certainly it's changed my approach to photography and how I go out and look to photograph and things like that, because I find it far more enjoyable to, to try and put together a series of images from a particular location as opposed to coming back with one locate, one image. And I think, uh, I think it's maybe, I think a lot of people maybe seen that and changed their approach through seeing all the zines and seeing all the books and you don't need to have something that's got 50 images in it. You should have 16 images and but if it all works coherently and as a set, you, you've created a great body of work. Absolutely, yes. And I think looking historically back up across um, great photographers of the 20th century, the ones that really strike me are the ones who could create that narrative yeah, through a, through a body of work, and you know, I, I'm always very interested in the history of photography, and I think I'm very aware that all of us as, of, as photographers stand on the shoulders of giants, and and some of those those people who really in the early days started to produce very very interesting coherent stories. And I'm people thinking of people like Dorothea Lang, Alfred Stieglitz, you know, going back to the interwar period in the states where there was yeah. a real move towards that idea of the project the narrative telling the story through the images yes um, and and one of the things also that i think has been a very strong influence on my own work is where the narrative is not necessarily so explicit so i'm, I'm always very yep. fond of 
images that have some form of ambiguity about them. So yeah, there is yeah. a story, but you may not be sure what the story is. And I'm thinking of people like Francesca Woodman and Minor White and, you know, those kind of fascinating uh, photographers who, who clearly have all sorts of things going on in their images. And, and part of the joy of the image is starting to unpack that. Yeah, that, that's it. I can't remember what book it was. There's a book that I've got, and I'm sure it was someone I spoke to as well. It'll come back to me at some point. But the the kind of the introduction was at the end, whereby you, you managed to enjoy all the body of work first, and then there was a bit of an explanation as to what it was you were you you'd been looking through and enjoying at the end. And I like that way because it allows your mind to wander as opposed to being told what all the answers are or what you think you should be looking at. You can you can think for yourself, and I think that comes across really well uh, in your book, particularly in the first section, whereby it is very uh, short focus. So it's all it's the it's the thought process. You think of the landscape, you think of your landscape. I certainly thought of my landscape when I was a youngster, and, and things like that. That's what all begins to, to come back to you, and um, because it's yes, yeah, it's, it's not it's not a clear definition of where it is. But certainly from a book perspective, do you, I take it you see yourself producing more books and is it been a, a regular area as an output for your work, do you think? Yes, absolutely. I think it's my preferred medium of, of dissemination, yeah. without a doubt. Um, I think partly because of, of the things we've spoken about, the lovely physical tactile quality of the book, but also because I like the way that a book can... Um, pause your enjoyment of the project yep. at a very measured pace. So yes. the, the format of a book, the, the format of a normal book, is that effectively you'll, you'll see two pages at a time and then you'll see another two pages. And it, and it creates a certain pace and a certain flow through the work that can be used to the advantage of the person producing the book. So you can start to think about, okay, what do I want somebody to see now when they turn over the next double page? Yes. Yeah. And so it allows you to think in a certain format. And, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that, that idea of pairing images or pairing an image with a little bit of text and, and yeah. how that might appear on a double page spread. So I, I guess I, I think in a book format quite, quite yeah. easily, quite, quite naturally. Um, as, as well as, uh, as we've said, you know, really enjoying the physicality of the book itself. So that's that's something that I really do want to explore. And, and certainly I think the, the the project that I've just finished is um, I'm hoping will, will come out in book format fairly soon. And um, then I've got another one that I'm working on at the moment. So, yeah, as I said, more ideas than time to realise. Yeah, I think that's the, the problem. The problem I have actually is it to, to some extent is more with the text than the images. So right, yes. From my point of view, the text takes more time to create than the images do. And, right. And that, to mm. some extent, is the, is the lag on, on the project. Yeah. I think most people always find it quite hard to write about their work relative to actually creating the images. And it's very hard if, if someone asks you just straight off, right, talk about your images. It's far harder to talk about them than, it, than, than you actually think it is to, to speak about your work and, and what, what the values are and, and and, and why, you, why you've gone and chosen to undertake the images you've taken. And, um, it's, uh, Absolutely. We, we, which is why the text in this book is, in a way, isn't about the images. You know, it's much easier yes. to talk about. Yeah, yeah, talk, yeah. Talk about uh, as I said at the beginning, to try and convey the emotional charge yeah. of the images in a different way, in a different medium. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an interesting question as to whether I view myself as a writer or a photographer, actually, because I think it's I'm, I'm sort of somewhere straddling the two. Yeah, 
Well, it, sound, it sounds great, and I look forward to seeing your your future, your next projects, particularly having got a copy of Absence as well. But obviously, you're you're clearly a book lover, so I'm really quite interested, as I asked every guest, uh, for some of your favourite photo books from other photographers. So three, four, or five mm. selections. I look forward to seeing how much this might cost me, or hopefully not. <laughs> I, uh, I suspect that's very unlikely. Some of them, some of them will be very familiar to you. Um, wh- where I want to start, actually, is to to rewind quite a lot in in, in time and, and right. talk about books that influenced me very early on. Yeah, because I, I I spoke at the beginning about my discovery of photography, and I guess I was probably about 18, 19 years old when I really started to work in film. And around that time, I bought a copy of Don McCullin's The Destruction Business. Yep, and I I'd never bought a photo book in my life at that point. And, and I picked up this book in an Oxfam bookshop and I was absolutely knocked sideways by the power of the image. And I think, I mean, Don McCullin is a really hard hitting photographer. And I think some of his work through time has been absolutely astounding. Um, and this particular book covered a lot of his work around the Vietnam War, the uh, Biafran Nigerian Civil War. Yeah. And some of the images are really quite, quite grim and, and quite tough to take. But also it was that realisation that somebody could do that through imagery. I think it was a, a, quite a, a remarkable moment in, in my life to, to see that book. And I think the other thing is, is not just what you could convey through the image, but also the way the images were made. I was probably trying to develop and print my own black and white photographs at that time. And I've never seen anybody get black so black never seen anybody really embrace the, the, the dark tones of yes. the image in the way that he, he did. And yep. I, at that point, hadn't really learned how to, to, you know, to dodge and burn in, in, in a dark room and so yep. on. And, and suddenly to see somebody putting that much shadow into an image was really quite remarkable. So, yeah, yeah so in some ways I probably owe quite a debt of gratitude to, to, to Don McCullin for introducing me to another way of looking at yeah. photography. Very good. And then a second book that... Similarly, from that period, had quite an influence on me was uh, an Image and Words collaborative project, and it's Remains of Elmet by Faye Godwin and Ted Hughes. Yeah. And I've always loved Faye Godwin's landscape photography. Um, and, and I think this was probably an early introduction to me of, of the, the moodiness of black and white landscape photography. And uh, pairing it with, with Ted Hughes's writing, and not only that, but also it was, it was about Yorkshire. Yorkshire, half of my family are from Yorkshire. I knew Yorkshire very well indeed. Yep. And to see somebody unpacking the landscape in a way that was emotive and powerful and charged with this incredible language of Ted Hughes's. So that was a, a remarkable discovery for me. And I think that that idea of the pairing of, of, of words and images probably resonated with me for, for a long time afterwards. So those those two were, were really quite big influences on me because they were books yeah. that I owned very early on and, and yes. really yeah. enjoyed seeing. Um, let's, let's fast forward 40 years <laughs> um, to think about some of the um, some of the books I've bought more recently. Um, there's one that I've, I've only just had a couple of days, actually, and I, I'm so enjoying is, is Guy Dickinson's work. Yeah, wonderful work. And um, this is Rifts and Erasures, which is um, some work around Dartmoor. And again, the um, this is, you know, the work I would love to have made. Um, partly because of the way in which he can take 
relatively yeah. straightforward black and white images and turn them into something very emotive and very powerful. Yes. Uh, and also the way in which you can then pair it with remarkably interesting words. Quite, I mean, he's got a very yeah. interesting way of, of, of arranging words on the page. Yes. And I, mean, I, I could have chosen any of any of Guy's books, um, yep. but that's um, that's been a real uh, a real joy for me to discover. Yeah, I, I also really like Guy's books because they they always are they're all very slightly different. He's got so many books and they're all different in terms of the tactile experience. I suppose that's what that's what I mean to say is yeah. there's all different paper choices, different thicknesses, different sizes and scales and things like that. And I think that. I really just add something that shows you the attention to detail in every single project. That it's not just a case of, right, I've got a body of work. This is my set format. I've got another body of work. That's my set format. It's, there's a nice variation. There's a lovely variation that's been well thought out and curated as well in, in terms of his process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and a book I'd love to be able to add to this list, but I can't get hold of a copy is Francis Scott's Undertow. yeah. Uh, the, the book about Orkney, which yes. um, again is, is another example of a, of a modern photographer doing what I think are remarkable things with yeah. with, with landscape photography. Um, but sadly, it's out of print, so I'm going to have to um, either, either convince, convince Francis to do a second print or I'll try and track down a copy somehow. Um, yep. But it is a, a really lovely book. Yes. Um, the, the other book that that I'd like to mention actually, because I've only just started, it, is Sally Mann's memoir, Hold Still. All right, yeah. And um, again, very interesting because, again, because it's, it's text and imagery working together. Yeah. And obviously that, that's an area that always fascinates me. And I, um, I, I'm, I've i long been an admirer of Sally Mann's work. I think it's really quite remarkable in terms of somebody who can tell a very complex story through a single image. I think she really yep. does have this remarkable narrative quality to her imagery that uh, that, that yeah. really really impresses me yeah very good a wonderful selection of books there um i've probably not got too many of them but i suspect some of them might be a wee bit easy to find or certainly possible i don't think anyone will, will break the bank thankfully but it's always <laughs> it's it's always really interesting just to hear it's like as you say you touch on you didn't have uh, you didn't have there wasn't a, a, a tutor or a, a teacher who got you into photography but yet you still talk about the first couple of books that you remember buying and just how it opened your eyes up so it just shows that everyone's everyone's insight and path into photography is entirely differently but it, it's interesting that yours potentially came very much influenced by f- photo books and here you are now producing your your own photo books with maybe maybe more to come Indeed, indeed. And I, um, I always remember a few years ago, I went to see a, a talk by Paul Seawright, who is predominantly a, a printmaker, a, a, yep. an artist based in Northern Ireland. And um, it, it was fascinating to hear him because he said, you know, one of the things that you spend three years learning at art school is what is your medium? Yes. And that really stayed with me because I think it's very important for all of us who, who aspire to make any form of art is to understand precisely what is our medium. Uh, not just in the broadest sense of, well, I'm a photographer, yeah. but it's actually, but what kind of photographer, what, what kind of thing do, do you like doing? You know, and I, yeah. I'm starting to play around with, with all sorts of experimental techniques at the moment, like cyanotypes and, and, and salt yes. printing and eyebrow and all this kind of stuff. 
a lot of paper-based media and again it's because I, I love that kind of that that physical quality of, of the artifact so yeah i think discovering the the media that we like to work in and the way that that media serves what it is that we want to say is is actually very important for us yeah absolutely well it's been it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and about your about your work about your book it's uh, really been a great insight into into the approach that you took and and the story that you were coming you were one you were you were telling across to everyone so yeah i'd just like to thank you very much for your time this evening it's it's been a, a real pleasure to hear you hear you talk about your work and and, and discuss your and discuss your book thank you very much well, thank you indeed, Ewan, and thanks for the excellent work you're doing with Bibliescapes. I think it's, it, it's fantastic. You're, you're, you're serving the photography community very well indeed. Well, that's it. It's, it's, it's been good fun to do. I can't believe I think this is maybe episode 61 or something like that. So I never thought I never thought at any point I'd have done 60 discussions with uh, various photographers from around the world. But I think it, I think it adds, hopefully it adds something and, be, and people can, can sit down and listen while looking through the book or looking through someone else's work. And they used to get a different insight and a bit of a different background as to, as to why the work and why the body work came, came about. Great. Thank you Thank very you. much. Cheers. Thanks, Ian. Cheers.